everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, VFW's weekly show where we hit on all of the biggest news of the week. Of course, this is a week where Bayern Munich was on an international break, so the focus for many, many things was on the German national team. And if you watched the Germans play, what you saw was a complete and utter mess, a debacle. The team was in shambles. They look terrible. Julian Nagelsmann is pushing seemingly all of the wrong buttons. It's a disaster. It is a complete disaster. And that is where we will kick this show off because it is the biggest thing going on right now. I know we have Byron starting back up this weekend and we will absolutely give you a preview on that. But the German national team has caught everyone's attention for its poor play. Uh, it's come to a point now where it's tough to expect them to win, obviously, but to even look good on the field, to play with any urgency, to play with any heart. We're not seeing it. We haven't seen it. And you can change the coaches. You can change the tactics. You can change just about everything. Whatever it is, this generation of players is just not cut out for the international game. They cannot figure out a way to play together. They couldn't do it under Yogi Love. They couldn't do it under Hansi Flick. And they certainly aren't doing it right now under Julian Nagelsmann. And of course, with going back and looking at the coaching changes over the years, I was very, very hard on Yogi Love because he had not figured out a way to relate to these players. He he was a, a guy who had achieved the highest of the high for the German national team, but he had lost touch. He couldn't figure out a way to get the players motivated, to get them in line. He couldn't figure out what tactics would work. And after time and a lot of criticism, the German national team did make a change. Now, in the end, I think it's probably fair to say that while Yogi Love did overstay his welcome, and certainly the game for the German national team had passed him by a bit, it wasn't all his fault, obviously. So those of you who were like me and you, you hit, Yogi love hard. Yeah, we need to eat a little bit of crow with that. But then they made the change to Hansi Flick, and I was energized by that. I loved everything about that hire. Many of you did as well. And it started out great. And everything was good up until about this point last year when it all dropped off the table. And again, Hansi Flick wasn't doing anything different at this time last year than he had done in the previous months where Germany had success. The players, however, just could not perform when called upon. So they went into the World Cup looking pretty shabby. And, and under Flick, that was the first time those final friendlies before they went to the World Cup and those final international games in the break prior to that, you had started to see some cracks in what was a very formidable German team. Once they got to the World Cup, it was a mess. And of course, I talk about the documentary all the time, the all or nothing, when we saw players being late for meetings, Julian Brandt being among them. We saw the absurd living situation and accommodations they had, which were an hour and a half from where they needed to be, uh, requiring you know three-hour round trips for anybody to go and do the press conferences. Completely absurd to think that that was an acceptable way to approach the World Cup and be prepared. We saw Yashu Kimmich, openly questioning the coaching staff and their tactics and strategies. It, it was a disaster and everything about 
the documentary showed why Flick probably was on his way out. And of course, he eventually was. Uh, Flick, for his part, again, he was probably dumbfounded. He was doing all of the things that worked. He was pushing the right buttons with the same players. But then it all just fell off the table. And it got so bad, of course, that Hansi Flick then had to go. So at that point, when Flick was gone, Germany had no one. (laughs) There was no obvious choice. There was no person that was going to have a magic wand and come in and fix things. So they opted to look at Julian Nagelsmann, who was a free agent, meaning he was available. He was a younger guy who would probably give a different look on things, different ideas, maybe a different way to relate to this group of players. And after a while, it became pretty clear that he would be the best choice. Now, (laughs) best is a relative term. Uh, it's not a synonym for only because we know that <laughs> that there really weren't that many options, but Nagelsmann seemed to be the one who could do it. And people were worried because, you know, he is a guy who obviously wants to get back in the club game. How committed would he be? You know, he has a pretty bad reputation for being someone who tinkers constantly and who makes changes and never settles on anything, which are all recipes for disaster in the international game. And right now it's looking like he's living up to that reputation. So Nagelsmann came in and initially, you know, we saw, I don't even want to say it was a boost. They, they beat the United States, which they should be beating them all the time. As someone who lives in the United States, there's zero excuse why uh, uh, a historically great team like Germany would not be able to just walk in with their second team and beat the United States. So they did that. They earned a draw against a what I would say a subpar Mexican team. Don't really think Mexico is a powerhouse at this point, but not a bad start. And then, as we know, this week the wheels fell off. Germany loses to Turkey again. Not a terrible Turkey team. They are a, a solid team, but should Germany be losing to them? No. And should they be losing to them and looking awful? No. And then the coup de gras. <laughs> Losing to Austria 2-0 in a game in which Leroy Sané was issued a red card. What a debacle. Uh, If you are someone who was critical of Nagelsmann and you thought that the way he tinkers and changes was going to have adverse effects on the team and that it wouldn't work in this format, he's doing his best to prove you right. Now, I I was definitely worried about that scenario because Nagelsmann simply cannot help himself. And... With that, he is, you know, one shifted the team to a back three, which you can argue all day back three versus back four, which works better, especially with this group of personnel. I'm less concerned about that than going completely off the rails using Kai Havertz as this hybrid left back role, which is crazy to me to think that it's not going to eventually come back and bite you at some point, his defensive deficiencies. In the end, in this break, I mean, Havertz might have been their best player against Austria, but that's not saying a lot. It, it really isn't because no one was good in that match. Either way, this this has all the makings of another complete and utter disaster. The hiring of Nagelsmann was supposed to inject some life, give some new ideas, and re-energize the players. It has done none of that. As of now, we're seeing some of the regulars like Yoshua Kimmich potentially being relegated to the bench. Nagelsmann, depending on what you believe, Nagelsmann could have a feud with Manuel Neuer over the goalkeeper coach situation at Bayern Munich. So he stripped Neuer 
of his captaincy, which was kind of a weird move to do that. I know Neuer's been hurt. He is expected to come back probably in March with the team. He's already back with Bayern Munich, but the next international break, I believe, is in March, so we should see Neuer then. But stripping him of the captaincy and to put it on Ilkay Gundogan, a player who was ready to retire from the national team just about a year and a half ago, very bizarre move. To me, it seemed kind of indicative. I think that Nagelsmann is not yet over how it played out with Tony Tapalovich and the information that was allegedly being disseminated from the coaching staff meetings to the players from Tapalovich to Neuer, the mole, so to speak, whatever you believe in that scenario, I think Nagelsmann did it on purpose. And I think he stripped Neuer knowing that if he was going to do it, this was a time where it wouldn't look as bad to do it because Neuer obviously was not going to be around and, and Nagelsmann and his staff are going to give Neuer the time to to not overexert himself and to get fully ready with Bayern Munich. But to me, that was another red flag. So to come in, make that move, start experimenting with things like Kai Havertz as a hybrid left back. These were all massive red flags to me. And it just showed me that Nagelsmann, in the end, he can't contain himself. He's going to continue to tinker. He's going to continue to switch personnel in and out, which Maybe he needs to. Maybe this group isn't good enough and he just can't find anything that works. Either way, he's not going to settle on his tactics. This is all just a complete mess. And everyone should be a little bit pissed off about it. If you follow Germany, if you're a fan of the German national team, this is embarrassing. The entire thing is embarrassing when you have Rudy Voller come out and and criticize the team. I mean, Voller is one of the people who has been empowered to try and fix this mess, uh, to hear him say some of the things that he said in his post-game quotes. Let me pull it up really quickly because him talking about the team lacking fight, passion, and dynamicism or dynamism, I always mess that word up. It's striking to me uh, when we see Julian Nagelsmann come out and criticize the back line. Well, you put it together. What did you expect? Austrian manager Ralph Rangnick comes out and he's talking about Germany having defensive deficiencies and knowing exactly what's wrong, that they're conceding too many goals and they haven't kept a clean sheet and, and, and blah, blah, blah. Everybody knows this team isn't good. The defense is, is terrible at this point. You're using Mats Hummels, who should be a veteran player on this team, not a starting player, should be a backup Jonathan Ta has never done anything in his career to warrant even consideration to being a German national team starter. Antonio Rudiger is mercurial at best. He's up and down and all over the place. Yes, of course, the defense is struggling. When you're experimenting with Kai Havertz as someone who could potentially have to support the defense from a wing back role or hybrid left back, whatever you want to characterize him as, it's probably an issue. When you're using Julian Brandt at the other wing back position, someone who couldn't even make it to meetings on time at the World Cup. That's ridiculous. Those are not defensive players. They're not going to be able to support an already shaky back line. Nagelsmann is is royally effing this up. <laughs> and I, I can't say it any other way than that, to be honest with you. I, I, and I'll be honest, to get off on a little bit of a tangent here, I'm more offended that Julian Brandt is, continues to be given opportunities. Now, Listen, I know it was more than just him who were who was late for meetings at the World Cup. 
one, extremely disrespectful to a coach like Hansi Flick to show up late, especially when you're a fringe player like Brandt. Two, to continue to get called up after that, after it was made known through that documentary that you lacked professionalism, to continue to get called up is, is also troubling to me. But three, to then end up in a starting role for what? What has Julian Brandt ever done? And I'm someone who actually likes his game. But what has he done to warrant a position in the starting 11 on the German national team? He's done nothing. He's brought nothing to the table. And, and to be honest, that's altogether too much of a trend with this team. And this is where we're all headed. This team, the personnel on it just isn't good enough. And it continues to amaze me that Julian Nagelsmann, through the lessons he learned at Bayern Munich and the personnel he had there, he still is making those mistakes that probably ultimately helped cost him his job. I'm not saying Thomas Muller at 34 should be an every game starter for Germany, but I'll be honest, I didn't see anyone in the four, ga four games played so far that deserved to be on the pitch more than he does. Florian Wirtz, the next great German player, has done nothing with the national team. He has struggled. He doesn't look like the same player who looks so great at Bayer Leverkusen. Jamal Musiala is injured for this one, but let's be honest, he has not been great since last year's World Cup. You could go on and on. Serge Gnabry being an up-and-down roller coaster that we all know. Leroy Sané lost his mind against Austria, got a red card. I don't even know what's going on with him. Even he, who is having perhaps his best season of his career. He looks bad right now for the German national team. I mean, this is rock bottom. We look at Joshua Kimmich, who no one for club or country would have taken him out of the lineup for years. That guy, rightly or wrongly, cemented himself as the cornerstone figure of both Bayern Munich and the German national team. And Nagelsmann right now, if you believe the most recent reports, is considering a full-time benching of him to play Ilkay Gundogan, who again had one foot out the door a year and a half ago, and maybe Pascal Gross. It is perplexing. And I know Kimmich has his critics out there, and he hasn't always been the best over the past year or so. But making a move like that, upsetting the apple cart, especially for such an important player, when you already have very tenuous leadership on a team because of all the changes, it was a horrid move for Nagelsmann to make. And even if you think Kimmich has not been good this season, and many of you do think that way, it was very risky to do that so early in your tenure as the manager, in your fourth game, to one, have those stories leak, which where there's smoke, there is fire, I firmly believe, and then to bench him in that second game. And granted, he did get in, and it's not like he came in and lit the world on fire, but either way, he's become that player that is integral to the team and removing him from the lineup automatically probably created some doubt among the starters and among the other players on the unit. I mean, this is bad. If you could find anything good about this, this international break for Germany, I mean, I give you credit. I think about the best thing I could say is Kevin Trapp proved that he is absolutely a, a good goalkeeper he deserves to be one of the three goalkeepers on the German national team roster. But otherwise, I can't find anything good about this. Nothing good came of this international break. It created more doubt. It created probably more division on the team. 
And it has created a lot of problems because Rudy Voller, Julian Nagelsmann, they were supposed to come in and start to fix things. And sometimes, yes, you do have to hit rock bottom before you can climb back up. But I don't think anyone expected it to look this bad so soon under Nagelsmann. He looks like he doesn't even know what to do at this point in terms of getting this team to be successful. I think he's grasping at straws. I think not even he knew that it was this much of a mess. And which was, to me, one of the things that really struck me during that Amazon documentary was that Hansi Flick had the same look. He talked the same way. He had no idea what to do. He had no idea how to work with these players. And someone who had built his entire coaching career on communication and relationship building, he couldn't relate to them. He couldn't get them to operate as a unit. He couldn't get them to buy in. And I think what we're seeing now with Nagelsmann is this group is not bought into him yet. They can talk all they want. They can say that they're behind the coach and they can say anything they want through the media. But in the end, it, it shows on the field how they look and how they look right now is terrible. I think Germany is in big trouble. I think they're risking going out on their home turf, their home field, their homeland, and they're going to get embarrassed the Euro 2024. I mean, that's it, it, it's to me, it's as simple as this. The talent isn't good enough and the talent collectively isn't willing to sacrifice their own respective games to be one unit. And with that, I think Nagelsmann is in a situation he might not be able to fix. I don't know who could fix it, but in the end right now, Rudy Voller and the DFB, they're going to have to sort out how to make this right. And I don't know that they can do that for the Euros, which really they're not that far away. We're talking what six, seven months now. This is a, a terrible, terrible spot for Germany to be in. And I think if they go out and get embarrassed like they have the, the last two World Cups, it, it is it's going to be a bad scene. It's going to be bad for everyone. And this entire ger- generation of German players is going to, I mean, they're going to be remembered as a failure, regardless of what they do for their clubs. As a group of the German national team, they're going to be regarded as failures. And it's a shame because I think there is some good individual talent there. But the fact that they cannot work together as a unit, that's the one thing that Germany could always pride itself on, no matter how big its stars were. They could work together. That constellation could sync up and they could become a selfless unit. It's not like that right now. I don't know that it's going to be like that for quite some time. So Germany is in trouble. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Drop me some comments on this post. Hit me up on social media. Let me know what you're thinking because I'm about as down on this squad as I've ever been. I know 2018 was a really, really bad period. And we were all super frustrated with that. Similarly, last winter with the 2022 World Cup, we were all in a bad mood about that. How did it fall apart? But now this is a continued slide. I mean, this is a an extended. We're talking from 2017 through now. We're talking about six years of this. Everything post that 2017 Confederations Cup has been a disaster. Everything. And that's where we're at. Germany, you got a lot of work to do. Julian Nagelsmann. I know you're probably not sleeping a lot these days, but you better put some pen to paper, figure out what's going to work, figure out which players you can get the buy-in. If that means dumping some stars off the team, dumping some players that have been here a while to become more of a functioning unit, to become more of a team, then you might have to do that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll give you a preview on Bayern Munich versus FC Köln 
We'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This is Chuck Smith. Hope you enjoyed that first segment on the German national team. What a mess they are. It's a shame. I actually love watching international football, especially Germany, but this has been terrible. And what else can you say about that? It is, uh, it's sad to watch. But speaking of things that are not quite sad to watch, we have Bayern Munich, the second place team in the Bundesliga. I know a lot of people don't like hearing that, but hey, second place right now, not so bad considering how good Bayer Leverkusen has been. Bayern Munich returns to action on Friday, 2.45 Eastern Standard Time against FC Köln. that Friday afternoon match, which is always a killer for BFW, given our international staff. Uh, you know, we always have coverage, but man, because we have so many people overseas, it is uh, difficult for us to capture and really cover everything without straining our North American staff. So I uh, appreciate everybody that hangs in at BFW to get our coverage of those Friday afternoon games, at least Friday afternoon in the United States time. So yeah, we will be covering that and hitting that, but let's get to a preview on the match like I said, Bayern Munich sitting in second place at the table through 11 match days, nine wins, two draws, good for 29 points. They're five points ahead of VfB Stuttgart, who is in third place. Bayern Munich has 42 goals for, nine against. Uh, over Bayern Munich's last five games, they are 5-0 and in the Bundesliga, and they last played on October, I'm sorry, November 10th with a 4-2 victory over Heidenheim. FC Köln is not in such an advantageous position as Bayern Munich. This is uh, uh, tough for me to watch because I like Stefan Baumgart and I like the job that he's done at the club. I think he's done a really, really nice job, especially given that they tend to lose more talent than they can retain. Uh, but FC Cullen is in a tough spot. 17th place at the table through 11 match days. One win, three draws, seven losses. That's good for just six points, which ties them with Union Berlin. Another shocker at the bottom of the table. Uh, Union Berlin was expected to be much better this season. But those two clubs sitting at the bottom of the Bundesliga table. Mainz is sitting in 16th place with seven points, just one point ahead of Köln. And Darmstadt has eight points. Uh, they are in 15th place with Bochum in 14th with nine points. So FC Köln really does need to start compiling some points, whether it's via draws or via wins. They need points. They need to get out of the rele relegation danger zone here. And I think Stefan Baumgart is going to play that way. I don't think he's going to risk going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Bayern Munich. He's going to need points. And any way he can get them, he'll take them. So over the course of... FC Köln's last five games, they have one win, two draws, and two losses. The last match was a 1-1 draw with VfL Bochum in a match that Köln really needed. They needed to win that one. Similarly, the week prior to that, they had a 1-1 draw with Augsburg. Augsburg, I don't think, has been good at all, but somehow they sit in 10th place at the table, which tells you everything you need to know about that bottom half of the Bundesliga this year. It's very much equal in that all the teams are not that good. Uh, but somehow, some way, three teams have to be in those final three spots. And right now it's Mainz, Köln, and Union Berlin. When we look at Bayern Munich as they head into this, obviously they have some good momentum build up. This is a good Bayern Munich team, a contrary to popular belief, I think a deep team, even though they don't necessarily have the amount of players that they want for the midfield and the defense, I think. 
They have a surplus of attacking talent. They have enough versatile players, I think, to cover what they need. It's not always pretty. And obviously they could use a center back or at least a versatile defender. They could use another midfielder to help out probably, although I'm not someone that firmly believes believes they need that. Either way, they're going to go out and get a midfielder. They're going to go out and get another defender. And things will probably, uh, I would say, work out well for them. <laughs> Uh, as we head into the new year, they've got obviously a couple tough matches, but this is a good Bayern Munich team and one that should be able to rack up some wins as they enter uh, the end of the Hinrunda and look forward to the Rookrunda. The lineup for this is going to be very interesting. Uh, Thomas Tuchel is going to have some decisions to make. Against a team like Colton, you would think he would be inclined to rest some players, but I don't think he will. I don't think he wants to risk points. And knowing how good Leverkusen has been, I think Tuchel's going to be smart if he tries to get everyone on the same page quickly and really put together a good squad to come out and face Colton. So given the injuries that they have, the Ligt is banged up, obviously. Musiala, while he is training, is still banged up as well. We don't know if he'll fully be back. He could be, but um, I think it would be smart if Bayern Munich gave him a little bit more time. You don't want to rush anyone back if you have uh, an injury in the attacking group because, quite frankly, you have a, a lot of good attackers. So there's no reason to really push anyone in before they're ready. But Let's try and take a run at what we think Thomas Tuchel will do. Uh, Manuel Neuer will start between the sticks. The center backs will be Kim Min Jae and Dio Upamakano. Kim Min Jae had some interesting quotes over the past week or so, stating that he knows he's going to be tired. So it's not just the accumulation of minutes with the club. It's the international duty. It's going to be the upcoming duty that he'll have, I think, in January. I believe it's the Asian cup that they will be participating in that he will obviously be away from the team with. I know Africa is going on at the same time. So Byron will be out a few players at that point. So Kim and Jay will get the call on this one. Byron needs to get, needs to get what they can out of him while they still have him, I guess. Diopa Makano, uh, he's looking pretty good. You know, he was battling some injuries, but right now with the licks injury situation, those two are the call are going to get the call. Alfonso Davies had a nice break with Canada. I can't say the Canadians had a good break as a team, but Davies did fairly well for them. I think that he will get the call left back and that we will see Nusar rally as the right back. I know that Tuka will be tempted to put someone else there. Uh, maybe Conrad Limer, but I don't think he's quite going to do that yet. Thing in the central midfield, we are going to see Joshua Kimmich and Leon Koretska come back as the double pivot pairing. I think that's just, that is just the way to go. I think they function the best and make Bayern Munich the best team when working together. Uh, it just hasn't quite worked out with Limer, and I know that there's a lot of speculation about who they're going to bring in for a midfield role in January, regardless of who it is. Uh, I believe that player is going to get some time because I think that Tuchel, uh, one, I, I've never believed that he likes Goretzka, so he won't he won't really care too much about sending Goretzka to the bench. And I think that Tuchel has soured a bit on Kimmich as well, so I wouldn't be shocked to see Kimmich sit a little bit more than he has ever in his career. So I guess we'll monitor that situation, but Kimmich and Goretzka in the midfield. I think Thomas Muller is going to sit atop them and play as the 10. We could see Musiala, and I know it's, you know, right now as I'm recording this on Wednesday, it's two days before the game. A lot can happen in those two days. I think it would be smart to sit Musiala at least one more week 
make sure that he's 100%. And there's no reason that Thomas Muller can't go out and do a good job against FC Colm. When it comes to the wingers, uh, very interesting situation with Leroy Sané getting that red card against Austria. It does not affect his status with Bayern Munich right now. But Sané uh, did not look great during this international break. And we know with him, he can be very flighty in terms of his performances. When he's high, he is super high. When he's low, he is super low. We have not seen any of those lows with Bayern Munich this year. So I definitely am going to be watching Sané to see how he handles the situation. As far as the other wing goes, it's tough between Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry these days. I don't think Gnabry's been especially great of late. I know he was banged up for a bit, but it doesn't look like he's really figured it out yet. And he might need a little bit more time. Kingsley Coman is, has been good this season. Uh, I think he's done a nice job. Hasn't been great, but uh, when it comes down to it, I think we're going to see Serge Gnabry get the nod this weekend, because I think Tugel's going to want to try and get him going. So, Gnabry and Sané at the wings, and of course, we will see Harry Kane at striker. Kane continues just to own everything that he touches and everywhere that he plays. Uh, Kane has just been uh, terrific. What else can you say about him? He's been awesome this season. Uh, as far as the prediction goes for this one, I think Bayern Munich's going to come out strong. I think this is obviously a match where if you're Bayern, you know you need to take care of business. If you are, <laughs> if you're Colin, you, you really... I mean, you're getting desperate. Desperation makes things, you know, really tight. Coleman's going to want to play for that point. I don't think they're going to be able to contain Byron as long as they will need to. So I'm going to come out and I'm going to say 3-0 victory for Byron Munich on the road. I think Coleman being at home will help out, but it's just a talent mismatch. Anyway, you slice it. Uh, Byron Munich has backup players that would be stars at Coleman. That's not a knock on Coleman, but Byron just has some incredible depth. Uh, especially in the attacking group. So that's where we'll leave that. Bayern 3-0 victory. That's my call. Uh, I will have my full Bundesliga prediction rundown in the weekend warm-up column, which will drop on Friday. So check that out when you can. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about a couple of rumors that we saw this week, and then we'll wrap the show up. So hang with us. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This is Chuck Smith. Wanted to touch on a couple of rumors that we had heard over the course of the last week. I hope you enjoyed the first two segments of the show. First being about the German national team, a little bit of a rant. I went on there, plus a preview of Bayern Munich versus Köln, which is coming up on Friday. As far as the transfer rumors we saw this week, there are obviously always a ton, but two I wanted to focus on. I don't want to spend a lot of time on them, but I did want to give some thoughts. First, Leroy Sané. Uh, right now it looks like Sané is going to re-up his deal with Bayern Munich, but he is getting some interest and he had some interesting quotes about not really wanting to focus on his future, which of course he doesn't. He wants to continue focusing and putting all his energy into this great season that he's having, but the interest that he's getting is going to be tempting. I know that he likes being in Bavaria. He likes his family being there. And, and by all accounts, everyone is happy with their off the field situation. And right now, Sané is one of Thomas Tuchel's chosen players. So he's got no complaints at this point. He is His life is great on and off the field by all accounts. However, he is getting interest from four clubs that will absolutely be able to at least make him take a look. And those four clubs are Liverpool, Manchester City, FC Barcelona, and Real Madrid. 
Now, if there are four clubs that might cause you to worry if you're Bayern Munich, those would probably be the four with Sané. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp would have that German connection with Sané and try and convince him of his role, knowing that Mo Salah is going to leave Liverpool is a big thing. Sané could walk in and he could really increase his stardom tenfold. And it's not a knock on the Bundesliga, but Liverpool is such a big club. It's in the biggest league on the planet with the Premier League. If Sané were to take that role, which it looks like Klopp is targeting him for, uh, I think it would be a massive thing for him. Similarly, Manchester City boss Pep Guardiola had Leroy Sané once already. He did like Sané when he was there. Now Sané is a better and much more mature player. I think it would be a, a great spot for him if he was going to leave. I obviously want to see him stay at Bayern Munich, but Manchester City and Liverpool are both great options. When it comes to FC Barcelona and Real Madrid, it's the allure of La Liga playing in Spain and that kind of thing. Real Madrid is it's a it's a destination club for so many players, and I could see Sané being tempted by that potentially more than than FC Barcelona. Barcelona is not quite as grounded as Real Madrid is at this point. I mean, Real Madrid is a legitimate contender for the Champions League and appears to be headed that way for the next several years. They always are. They're always a, they have a little legitimate shot to win the Champions League. Barca is still kind of feeling its way out. Robert Lewandowski not a fit. Korskavi is a player who is highly regarded there, just towards ACL, so he's out. I mean, there is a little bit of imbalance and maybe a little bit of instability there. They always have some kind of financial issues going on. But if I'm Bayern Munich, I am a little bit concerned because those four clubs have the potential to turn any player's head. And again, Sané has given all indications that he wants to re-up, but this is a, a key point in his career. And I think if you're looking at Bayern Munich's situation as a team, the next few months are going to tell us just how serious of a contender they are for the Champions League. I don't know, honestly, looking at it from the outside, how it's going to get down to it, how it will work once they're in that final grouping of teams. When you're down to the final four or final eight teams, it's all about matchups. If Bayern gets matched up with City, if they get matched up with Real Madrid, it's going to be very tough on this Bayern team. Uh, those are just two powerhouse teams. And I, I still at this point have Bayern as my number three team. If I was going to have power rankings in the Champions League, they would be my number three behind City and Real Madrid. But we don't know with Sané how much that will play a role. You know, We don't know if he's going to hit one of his skids that we've seen him hit before. And we don't know how, if he does do that, how it will affect his thinking. So there are some wild cards there with Sané. All that said, I'm expecting him to re-up his deal just because he seems content and happy off the field and that family life, knowing that they're happy and that they're where, where they want to be, that can make a player's life so much easier. So I'm expecting Sané to stay put, though I do expect him to at least take a look at those four clubs. The most interesting transfer rumor we saw this week was regarding Thomas Muller and once again, Manchester United <laughs> allegedly having some interest in him. I can't see Muller making that move to United. I know that there is some speculation that he would be open to a move because he, he does not have a role under Thomas Tuchel. And, you know, there are various reasons for that. If you, you know, fall into my line of thinking, it's to me, it's very clear that the club's scared of Jamal Musiala. They're scared of doing anything to piss him off and maybe pushing him out the door because he wants to play every minute of every game. He's already pretty much made that clear. 
And Musiala is, you know, he's growing a little bit of an ego as he gets older. He's becoming that world platform player and he's getting the personality to go along with it. What that means for Bayern Munich is that Thomas Muller doesn't have a spot to play. And I think that that's not good for Muller, obviously. I think at 34, he's still got something left. Not saying he needs to start every game, but I think he's still capable of being a guy that can have good, solid starts in three out of four games. If if you're managing his rest and his health with the way that he plays and the style that he plays, it is hard on his body. So he does need more rest than, say, a younger player. But... He still brings so much to the table, and it's not just about scoring and assists. He obviously, I think, can still do that, and his numbers indicate that. He's played half the time of Jamal Musiala, and his numbers are not that much worse than him in terms of production. Uh, But Muller, he's in a very tough spot. He is a club legend. He's done so much. He His whole life is based in Bavaria. Does he really want to, at 34, embark on a new journey? And it doesn't even have to be at Manchester United, but anywhere else. Does he want to stay in Germany and, and have a bigger role? Does he want to go somewhere that's that's might be a little bit of a commute for him, but would make it manageable for his home life? I don't know. In the end, with Thomas Muller, it seems like he he's going to weigh a lot of things. And I don't think he's going to be happy as a bench player. But I think in the end, he's not going to want to make a move because it's just going to be too difficult for him. <laughs> And logistically, I, I think it's a, it's a big thing. These players, they have home lives. They have families. Does he want to uproot himself at this stage of his life? Now, the one trump card in all of this for Mueller is that he is one of the highest earners on the team. Is he going to want to take a pay cut, which Bayern Munich is absolutely going to want him to take because they don't want to continue to pay $20 million or 20 million euros, I should say, for a player who really isn't in the coach's plans. And that's where you might hit the stalemate because Muller, I believe, will have the mentality of, okay, I still have a lot to offer. It's not my fault. Your coach, who you picked, doesn't want to play me when I can still help this team. So you're still going to pay me what my value is and what my worth is because if you need me, you know I'm going to be able to bring it and give that kind of effort that's worth 20 million euros. I don't think the club's going to see it that way. I think they're going to look to cut costs. I think this is going to be a battle. I think for Mueller, he's going to want to come out with somewhere around 15 to 16 million per season. And I don't know if Bayern Munich's going to consider, would consider that a win if it could cut three to four million, five million off of his salary. So that's the only thing with the Mueller transfer rumors that really made me take a step back. I don't think the United thing is going to happen, but it wouldn't shock me if someone else comes in and offers him a nice salary and has a better role for him. I just don't think he's going to take it because I don't think he's wired that way at this point. I don't think he wants to make such drastic changes to his life. So Thomas Muller, I think he'll stay put. Leroy Sané, I think he'll stay put, though both are probably going to at least take a look and see what's out there for them. I guess the final note for this show, and I appreciate you guys hanging in, is I just want to say thanks to all of you listeners, all of you readers of the site, Uh, you guys. Without you, we couldn't do any of this. Your support means so much. And I know Thanksgiving is not celebrated everywhere. And when it is celebrated, it's not always the same time in certain countries. Those crazy Canadians have their own Thanksgiving at another point, which... I'm too dumb to know when it is <laughs> because I'm so American centric. You know, us Americans, we're all self-centered. Uh, I only know the American Thanksgiving, which is Thursday of this week. So 
at this time of year, it's always nice to say thank you to the people who have meant a lot to you over the course of the year. And of course, when it comes to BFW and the life we have here, it's the community of listeners, the community of readers that we have, the people that comment and make the site as special as it really is. And for me personally, as the one who runs the site, I'm very, very thankful for the staffers, the great podcasters that we have here. I, I love listening to their podcasts. And it's not just because I'm running the site and running the podcast. I legitimately think they have great opinions. They have some good banter back and forth. It's a good diverse set of thoughts. We don't all think alike. We disagree often. And I think it's good to have those differing views, uh, even though there are many people who probably fall into the Mueller mafia or the anti-Tuchel crew. We do have opposite sides of that. So it's all very much uh, to me appreciated that they put in the time and do that. When it comes to the site, I mean, we are churning out more and more stuff every day. Uh, we have a very aggressive schedule with the which the staff works hard to keep. Uh, it's not easy to do what we do. It takes a lot of sacrifice for all of us. It's a passion project. Nobody gets rich off of this thing. Uh, we are doing it because we love doing it and we love the interactions that we have with the community. So I hope you guys appreciate it. I know we all really appreciate that you guys check in and, and have really built the community because even though we're the ones putting out the content, it's really all of you out there that build that community and, you know, you guys have great takes and opinions. You guys don't always agree on everything. And sometimes it does, it does get so heated that we have to step in. But uh, to me, that's all that the, those are all of the great things that, that happen. Uh, it's, it's good for all of us to have differing ideas. Uh, just sometimes we need to communicate them a little bit better. And that includes us over at the site. I don't absolve us from any of that. So just know that you guys are all appreciated. And if you are in the United States and you're celebrating Thanksgiving, just know that by 6 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning, I'll be completely trashed because my day starts at about 4 a.m. Uh, if you have heard me talk about this before, it's the morning that I meet up with some old friends and we do shots and drink beers. And then I have to somehow rally together to turn back into the family man and uh, not let everyone know that I'm trashed and or hungover and or ready to pass out. It's a struggle every year. I somehow pull it off. When I was younger, I would say, and got after it maybe a little bit harder. I didn't always pass it off, especially before I had kids. Uh, my father-in-law used to very much enjoy when I would show up at his house completely smashed. Like he actually would encourage it. So uh, when he was alive, he was <laughs> he was more of an instigator <laughs> because he was a, a, a guy. <laughs> he would drink from the time he woke up till the time he went to bed. And that was his life. That's what he loved to do. Uh, not that I do that, but that day of the year, I'm starting early, typically goes for the majority of the day. And then I have to, I really have to rally and, uh, it's put on a good face and my kids don't know how trashed I am. So not exactly parent of the year, but Hey, we all have flaws, don't we? All right. That'll wrap up this show. Uh, as always, you can get me at the barrel blog you can get the site at Bavarian FB works. You can get our tweetmeister Tom Adams at Tommy Adams 71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Siler at CYL3R. You can get all of our great writers and podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Again, thanks for everything you guys do, every download, every listen to the podcast. Every time you click on our stories and read them and drop comments, we appreciate it because that's why we're all here. We want to interact and we want to 
have this great community that we can all gather in and commiserate when things are bad and celebrate when things are good. So thanks again for a great year at BFW. You are all appreciated. Have a couple of beers on me. I'll certainly be doing that. And we will see you next time.